Al Jazeera Podcasts. Hi, I'm Nagain Oliyei, a senior producer with The Take, bringing you another take, stories from the archives that are relevant again now. Today, that's in the border region between Iran and Pakistan, where the two countries traded military strikes earlier this week, killing at least 11 people. In 2022, we covered the Pakistani side of that border, the Balochistan province. It has its own long history of conflict and neglect, which includes something called enforced disappearances. Back then, we spoke to someone who's been demanding answers from the state. Here's that episode now. And a heads up, none of the dates or other references have changed from May 4th, 2022. The issue of enforced disappearances is simmering in Balochistan. That's Al Jazeera correspondent Usama bin Javed. He's talking about Balochistan in southwest Pakistan. Every single time when you sit down with people behind closed doors and cameras off, they will talk to you about they don't care about us. They will pick up our sons and our children just because they spoke their mind. Enforced disappearances are when state security officials pick someone up and their whereabouts are unknown. It's an ongoing practice in Pakistan and Balochistan is Pakistan's largest province. The problem with Balochistan is that it does not have the luxury of choosing its neighbors. Pakistan has seen a spike of attacks across the country. The responsibility, of course, being taken by the Islamic State Khorasan, as well as the Tariqa Taliban, Pakistan, and Baluch insurgents who have been carrying out their activities across the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. There's a simmering conflict between the Baloch people and the state. And according to some human rights groups, it's left thousands of people in Balochistan missing. Today, we hear about the fight to find lost family members, or at least find out what happened to them. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. It was the bad day of my life. Yeah, it's hard for me. You know, it's the haunting memories. I still get nightmares. Mahrang Baluch has dedicated a big part of her life to calling for an end to enforced disappearances. Baluchistan is a tightly knit society. People know each other. So when someone goes missing, it's a big deal in the community. I am a political activist and a postgraduate in surgery. Uh, My age is 29 years old, and I live in the capital of Balochistan, Quetta. So we're here today to talk about a sensitive topic, but one that you're intimately familiar with because it's touched your life in so many ways. I know that your father was taken in 2009, Can you tell me about that day? My father was on way to Quetta from Mongachar, our native city. There are two and a half hours from our home to that uh, city. And then one day passed, we didn't get any news of it. So uh, we searched uh, all of the route. There was one person saw that the state uh, agencies came with the guards and with their guns. They asked several questions from my father and uh, they took him forcefully with them. 
So it was then when we realized that my father was abducted. Mahrang's father's body was found two years after he went missing on a journey back to Quetta. Witnesses said he was picked up by the state. After two years, 1st July 2011, his mutilated body was recovered from Gardani, Baluchistan. So sorry to hear that. Can you tell me about your father? What did he do? What do you remember about him? He was a political activist. He was also a government employee. He started his Akhtawar Circle, a discussion on Baluch national cause, and that what Baluch is suffering and uh, what is the situation of Baluchistan. I, I remember that he was so consistent in his thoughts, in his ideas. He said that I can leave all of you, but I cannot leave my ideology for what I am working Bahrang, I know that it wasn't only your father who was abducted. Your brother was also taken for several months. Can you tell me about that? So they took my brother in front of our house. And who who is they? The intelligence agencies of Pakistan. So they came and they said that we are going to interrogate your brother. They forcibly took my brother out of the house. Uh, But at that time, all of the community came together. Because in a Baloch society, basically, we live together. They came forward and they resisted them, that we will not let you take this young boy. He's just 17 years old. Why you are taking him? You have killed his father and now you have came to take the only son of this family. Yes, they say that we have some cases against him and they didn't mention that, that cases of what? They say that we are going to interrogate him, and then we will release him after 24 hours. Where is your brother now? He is currently a university student studying. So he was released. Is he okay? How is he doing emotionally and mentally? Mm, Yes. I remember when he was released, he was in mental trauma. When you're released, there's a fear that they will come again for you. And that time, when you see those persons that share prison with you, you hear those tortured voices, they will not let you to move on. They will not let you to forgive that what's going on in Balochistan, why a nation is being targeted multiple times when our land is the only resourceful land for Pakistan. Mahran called Balochistan a nation. And that's how many people living in the province still see it, as an independent nation from Pakistan. And the territory is rich. Balochistan has hundreds of millions of dollars worth of natural resources and minerals. That includes Pakistan's biggest natural gas fields, which supply the rest of the country. It also has an 800-kilometer shoreline. That shoreline is currently under construction. Eventually, it will host a major port on an important international shipping route. But to locals, Balochistan is known for its natural beauty. If I was to paint a picture for you, imagine being on a sandy beach and in 40 minutes you'd need a jacket because you'd be on, on top of a mountain. That's the kind of terrain that Balochistan offers. That's Osama bin Javed again. You heard him at the beginning of the episode. He knows Balochistan's beauty well. He's been covering Pakistan for nearly 20 years and he's traveled to Balochistan many times. But he also knows it's the least developed of Pakistan's four provinces. 
Nearly 41% of its households live below the poverty line. And there's history here. I asked Osama to explain it. Balochistan was annexed by Pakistan in 1948. Can you tell me a little bit about that history? Until a very few years ago, it had people from all, all parts of Pakistan. In the last few decades, that population has dwindled because of the lawlessness and rise in nationalism in Balochistan, where the Baloch feel that people from outside have been coming in and taking their jobs. A majority of people in Balochistan who increasingly do not see themselves as part of Pakistan because of the sense of abandonment that they feel from the Pakistani state when it comes to basic infrastructure, when it comes to education, when it comes to health, when it comes to opportunities and jobs for the people of Balochistan, they feel that they are second-rate citizens because the Pakistani state does not care enough about them. And that's why some Baloch go so far as to feel they're not part of Pakistan at all. There are many people who believe in not taking up their arms and not going against the state and trying to reconcile their differences. And they're the people in their tens of thousands who come out and vote in every elections. But yes, there is an undercurrent of extreme anger in Balochistan. The youth of Balochistan uh, feels that the moment they open their mouths, the moment they speak about their rights, is when they become susceptible to becoming targets by the state agencies, becoming targets by law enforcement. I would safely say in many of the postgraduate, undergraduate educational institutions where I've met youth who wouldn't say things on camera, but when you sit down with them, they'll, they'll share their frustration and, and their, their, this sense of longing for a place they can call home which treats them as equal citizens. I want to talk about enforced disappearances, one of the main grievances of people in Balochistan. They've been happening across Pakistan for about two decades now, and some call them a legacy of former President Parvez Musharraf. What was it about that time that made them so prominent? So what happened was right after the war on terror, Pervez Musharraf gave a part of Balochistan to be used as bases for drone operations. And there was a lot of logistics that were going through Balochistan. After the September 11th attacks, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. Musharraf, in neighboring Pakistan, became a key U.S. ally. Balochistan became a staging ground in that effort. Here's George W. Bush the U.S. president at the time, in 2006. President Musharraf understands the stakes and he wants to join and help uh, route out an enemy that has come and killed 3,000 of our citizens. So if you were a Baloch, you were seeing all of these trucks making money, all of these other people making money, and you were still poor. And when they started to speak up, they were reprimanded. But it is not just that simple of a story. As Pakistan was getting into a war of proxies, Pakistan also has opponents and they use the soil of Balochistan. They use this underlying current of disgruntled people to use them against Pakistan. So guess what? More guns, more money and more foreign influence came into Balochistan. And enforced disappearances remain part of what Pakistan now calls its anti-terror strategy. What can you tell me about these enforced disappearances? 
there is a lot of us in them based on enforced disappearances, and rightly so. There are people who have been abducted from their universities, from their homes, and it shows the weakness of Pakistan's judicial system as well, that security agencies feel that rather than making a legitimate arrest and reprimanding someone and interrogating them through legal means, they have to go in, pick up somebody. If they get something out of them, they are then given to the courts. Or if they think that it is going to be no longer a person of interest, many times bodies are found strewn across the streets in Balochistan. Just to break this down for those who aren't familiar with this term or can't really imagine what it's like, can you walk me through how someone is disappeared? How a family member might find out that their brother or their father has been taken? So I remember talking to this young girl and we sat down in their home and I asked her, what do you remember? And her brother was missing. And she said he just went to university and he never came home. We searched, we called his friends, we called the police, we went out to the morgues, we went to all the hospitals, we couldn't find him. And she was saying that I feel envious of family and friends and relatives who had people who disappeared and then turned up dead, that at least they had some closure. I also had a conversation with an interrogator. How did that happen? How did you have that conversation? <laughs> um, as, as journalists, we have to talk to all sides. I remember traveling into Balochistan after Baloch insurgents burnt down the house of the founding father of Pakistan. They did it in protest to missing people and, and dead bodies being found. I also remember speaking to some security officials who shall always remain unnamed, and that was the term of the engagement. I can tell you that this person had no qualms about picking up a young man who, who he said was involved in laundering of weapons, was a conduit for training others on how to make bombs. They picked this person up. They were interrogating him. They beat him so much that he died. And this is not uncommon in Pakistan. We reached out to the intelligence services for comment, but did not hear back. Osama says Pakistan's government calls the enforced disappearances illegal. And although they've never been formally criminalized, efforts to do so seemed to reach a breakthrough last year, when the criminal law amendment bill was passed by the National Assembly. Under the bill, anyone convicted would be fined and jailed for up to 10 years. But there's another clause stating anyone making false claims about disappearances can also be fined and jailed, and legal experts raise concerns it could deter people from filing a report in the first place. So where is the bill now? Well, it's still pending in Parliament. We spoke to a former government spokesperson, Anwar al-Haq Kakar, who's also a senator representing Balochistan. He talked to us about how the government views these disappearances. There are not many international human rights organizations who have been critical. Yes, there are some civil society organizations at a local level. What happens, uh, in fact, is that they try to project individuals who are apprehended by law enforcement agencies and they portray them as they've been picked up. 
the right of apprehension lies with any state, no matter what. The brief period between apprehension and release, they term it as abduction. He told us about a commission of inquiry set up to look into some cases of alleged disappearances. He told us that most of them are resolved, meaning the person has been released or found dead in encounters with law enforcement agencies. Whenever uh, such civil society organizations who sometimes claim that thousands and thousands of individuals have been enforcedly disappeared, but when asking them to provide the details of those specific individuals, they at times lack those details. So my position is that even if a single individual is disappeared or enforced, is, is engaged in enforced uh, disappearance, that is not justified. But at the same time, you cannot make a smear campaign against the state institutions. Rights group Voice for Baloch Missing Persons say that some cases have been resolved, but they say that these are not recent cases and that up to 6,000 Baloch are still missing. Although Mahrang's father was among those who never returned, she told me she feels some satisfaction that he's no longer with his abductors. I still experience myself as a child that uh, goes to school with the thought that, yes, uh, when I return to home, my father was, is waiting for me. When I see people that they are struggling for their loved ones, sometimes I'm relieved and that, uh, yes, okay, he is not with me, but still there is a satisfaction that he's also not with them. So, Osama, what are the Baloch people doing to rectify the situation that they find themselves in? I think what we need to do is make sure that we do not treat people of Balochistan as a monolith. They are a very diverse, dynamic. There are people of Balochistan who are working silently in the bureaucracy of Pakistan. There are people who are working in the political ranks. Remember, not all politicians are corrupt. They are working to try and help the situation in Balochistan. And then there are people who are completely out of the system, who find themselves completely frustrated with no uh, strings attached to the society, who have taken up arms and they see themselves as the only solution. Just days after Pakistani soldiers fought with separatists in Balochistan province, nine soldiers and 20 fighters were killed. The military says that two army posts were targeted in one of the biggest raids in recent years. One thing which is crystal clear about all of this is that Balochistan needs to be given its rights. If you are a person living in a village near Sui, which is where natural gas comes from, and you see that hundreds of miles away there are homes which are using that gas and you don't have the supply in your home, no matter the statements from the politicians or the pledges from the Pakistani capital, they are going to rise up and they are going to demand that gas in their household. Mahrang echoed those sentiments and told me she feels it's not just her family who were targeted. Not my family, actually my nation. You know, when 
you live in a society when they deprive you, they take your resources, they kill your people, and still they expect you to stay silent. My father was the one who basically resisted this, who basically said no to that life that state gave our people. A life Mahrang said her father felt was spent fighting for the resources he saw as being taken by the government. I will take your gas and you are going to go and search for the votes and I will take your resources to educate the capital, but I will not build schools for you. And the resistance won't stop until and unless the state's behavior towards the oppressed nation will change. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ruby Zeman with Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Adam Abugad and Aya Al-Milek are our engagement producers. We'll be back. Thank you.